Welcome to Truth Matters with Terry McCarthy. Today is Wednesday, April 22nd, and this week we're looking at the great revival of Hebrides that took place from 1949 to 1952. On Monday, I gave some background and a kind of an overview of what happened in the great revival. And then uh, Tuesday, I began to read from a transcript of Duncan Campbell's who Duncan Campbell is the man who preached the revivals of 1949 in uh, the in Hebrides on the Isle of Lewis. So I started the transcript yesterday, and I'm going to finish it up today. His is an eyewitness account. Duncan Campbell is a first-hand uh, account of what happened on the Isle of Lewis when the Spirit of God fell. And the Holy Spirit moved like fire across the Hebrides. So thank you for joining me. And I'll be reading from that transcript uh, of a sermon he preached in 1968. Remember that it all started in a small village called Barvis and spread throughout the entire Hebrides. So here's Duncan Campbell's eyewitness account. And of course, after that, we were at worshiping night and day. Churches were crowded. A messenger would come. I remember one night, it was after three o'clock in the morning, and a messenger came to say that the churches were crowded in another parish about 15 miles away. Crowded at that hour in the morning, and we went to the parish minister along with several other ministers. And I thank God for the ministers of Lewis, how they responded to the call of God, how they threw themselves into the effort, and God blessed them for it. We went, and I found myself preaching in a large church, a church that would seat over a thousand people. And the Spirit of God was moving, oh, moving in a mighty way. I could see the people falling. They were falling to their knees and they were slain in the spirit. I could hear them crying to God for mercy and I could hear those outside of the church praying. And that continued for at least two hours. And then as we were leaving the church, someone came to me to tell me that a very large number of people had gathered on a field. They could not get into the church. They couldn't get into any of the churches. And they had gathered in a field along with some other ministers. So I decided to go to that field and the young men led me there. And there I saw this enormous crowd standing as though gripped by a power they could not explain. But the interesting thing about that meeting was a sight that I saw. The headmaster of a secondary school in the parish was lying on his face on the ground crying to God for mercy. He was so deeply convicted of his desperate need, and on either side of him were two young girls. I would say they were probably 16 years of age. They, uh, there were four of them, two on each side of him. And they kept saying to the headmaster, Master, Jesus that saved us last night in Barvis, can save you right now, tonight. Jesus that saved us last night in Barvis can save you tonight. And it's true that when man comes into vital relationship with Jesus Christ, his supreme desire is to win others, to win others. 
and they were there that night to win their schoolmaster to Christ, and they won him to Christ. Oh, God swept into his life. I believe in an answer to the prayer of those four young girls, 16 years of age, who had a burden to pray for their schoolmaster. Now, that was how the revival began, and that is how it continued for five weeks. The first wave of the revival continued for five weeks, and then there was a kind of lull, uh, just a week of us being able to rest and kind of recuperate. But then the Spirit began to move again, and oh, the churches, they were so crowded, and people were still seeking after God, and prayer meetings were being held all over the parishes. It was the custom there that those who found the Savior at night would be at prayer meeting at noonday the next day. A prayer meeting met every day at noon. At that time, all work stopped for two hours. Looms were silent. Tractors were still. All work stopped. And for two hours, people left the fields and left their looms and they gathered for prayer. And it was then that you got to know those who had found the Savior on the night before. The previous night, they gathered to begin their prayer life. You didn't need to make an appeal. You didn't have to make an announcement. You didn't have to tell people, hey, make it to make your way to the prayer meeting. They made their way to the prayer meetings on their own to praise God for his salvation. Many of whom would run. They couldn't wait to get into the house of prayer and to worship God. And that continued for almost three years until the whole of the island of Lewis was swept by the mighty power of God. I couldn't tell you how many. I never checked the numbers. I was afraid that any time that I tried to do a numbering that I would be disobeying God the way David did when he counted the fighting men. So I said, God, it's yours. You're the record keeper. You know how many it how many men and women and children have been saved. But this I know, and this I can tell you, that at least 75% of those who were born again during the great revival were born again before they ever came near a church, before they had any word from me or ever heard me preach a sermon or any of the other ministers. I can think just now of a certain village, the village of Weaver, and there was a row of cottages by the roadside. There were seven of them all together, and in every cottage was a loom and a weaver. One morning, just as the men were being called for breakfast, it was discovered that the seven of them were lying prostrate behind their looms, lying on their faces behind their looms, and all of them caught up in the spirit and crying out to God. Now, I can't explain this, but of this I am certain It was of God, because those seven men were saved that day. Now, I should say six of them were saved that day. One of them was saved on the following day. But they came to understand that something supernatural had taken hold of them. An awareness for God gripped them, and a hunger possessed them, and they cried out to God for mercy. And God swept in. I was visiting them recently. I happened to be up in the Hebrides a few weeks ago. And what a joy it was to listen to them to tell me all the stories again. 
everything that God had done, all of that wonderful experience when God swept into those seven houses. My dear people, that's revival. I mean it. It's so different from our special efforts. It's so all apart, altogether different from man's best endeavor. God is in the middle and he was allowing miracles to happen. Now, perhaps I should go into some of the features that characterize this remarkable movement. Well, already I have mentioned to you that men were found slain in the spirit. We saw strange manifestations. I think just now of a certain island. Up until then, God hadn't moved on this small island. It's one of the smaller islands, perhaps. There were only maybe 600 people that lived there. And I was asked to go to this outlying island to officiate a meeting. So I'm on this island and I felt the going fearfully hard and it was difficult to preach. I felt every word was coming back and hitting me right in the face. And I was a bit distressed and I turned to one of the other ministers and I said, now, don't you think that we should send for the praying men of Barvis? Let me say in passing that the praying men of Barvis were praying for us there in Barvis just then while we were holding that meeting. But there were at least five of them in this part of, the, of God's vineyard who promised to do that. And I believe they were keeping their promise. However, I sent for them. I said, if at all possible, will you please bring little Donald Smith? Now, I will tell you later about how Donald Smith came to know the Lord. But please bring Donald Smith. Now, Donald had a remarkable experience on the hillside a fortnight after he was born again. And God came upon him. The Holy Ghost came upon him. He had a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. I hope you believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost as a distinct experience. Uh, you may disagree, but I believe in it. I don't think that I am preaching one set of doctrine that insists upon gifts. I am not thinking of that at all because I believe that the baptism of the Holy Ghost in its final analysis is just the revelation of Jesus Christ in a powerful and real life-changing way. It is Jesus becoming real and wonderful and powerful and dynamic in a person's life. And the Holy Spirit expresses himself through our personalities. That is the baptism of the Holy Ghost that I believe in. Not that I disbelieve in the gifts. Of course not. I believe in the gifts. But I just want you to know this is what I'm talking about. A move of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon men and women and children. You know, some of my dearest friends are among those who exercise the gifts of the Holy Ghost. But that, by the way, this young fellow had such a baptism of God among the heather that he forgot about coming home and a search party had to be sent out to find him in the hills. And they found him on his face among the heather, repeating over and over, Oh, Jesus, I love you. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, Jesus, I love you. And wasn't he near to Jesus as if he spoke like that? He was. Of course he was. So, I said to those men, bring me little Donald Smith. And now we're in the service in the church on that island. And we were struggling so to try to preach. I'm preaching from the text. Who is this that cometh from Edom? Him that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in greatness of his strength. 
I that speak in the righteousness and mighty to save. That was the text. But oh, I tell you, the going was hard. The going was hard. I looked down and finally I saw little Donald sitting there in the seat. And I saw that his head was bowed and the floor around him was wet with his tears. And I said to myself, well, now there is a young lad nearer to God than me. Oh, there is a young lad who has touched the face of God. So I just stopped preaching. And I looked down at this young boy and I said, Donald, I believe God would have you lead us in prayer. And it was right in the midst of my address. I mean, I stopped speaking and I looked at him and I said, Donald, I think the Lord would have you lead us in prayer. And that young lad stood to his feet. Now, that morning at family worship, they had been reading Revelation 4, where John has the vision of the open door. I saw a door opened in heaven. And as that young Donald stood there, that vision came before him. And this is what he prayed in that hard congregation. This was his prayer. God, I seem to be gazing in through the open door. And I see the Lamb, the Lamb standing in the midst of the throne. He holds the keys of death and of hell at his girdle. Then he stopped and poor little Donald began to weep. And for a minute or so he just wept and wept. Oh, the brokenness. And when he was able to control himself, he lifted his eyes towards the heavens and he cried out, God, is there a power there? Let it loose, Lord, let it loose. And suddenly the power of God fell upon that congregation. And suddenly one side of the church threw their hands up like in the air, praising God, threw their heads back. And you would almost declare that they were in some kind of epileptic fit, but they were not. And I can't explain it. It was the power of God. And the other side, they had slumped to the floor. They were almost falling on top of each other. They were flat on their faces. But God, the Holy Ghost moved. Those who had their hands up in the air kept them up in the air for two hours. Now you just try to hold your hands straight up for a few minutes and you'll find it hard. You, you would probably stop having to do it. But they held up their hands for two hours. I can't explain it, but this is what happened. But the most remarkable thing that night was what took place in a village seven miles away from the church. There wasn't a single person from the village in that church service that night. Not one single person. And seven miles away... And it was while uh, little Donald Smith was praying, the power of God swept through that village, swept through the village. And I know it to be a fact that there wasn't a single house in that village that didn't have a soul saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Not a single house in that village was left untouched by the power of God. I remember one night at a, a meeting, a schoolmaster looking over his papers I was at a meeting preaching and later he told me the story and he was at home it was about 15 miles 
away on the mainland. He was on the mainland and we were uh, holding a meeting and preaching and the Holy Spirit was moving in Barbas. And this schoolmaster was marking papers at his house 15 miles away on the mainland. And he was suddenly gripped by the fear of God. And he said to his wife, I don't know what's drawing me to Barvis, but I've got to go. I've got to go to Barvis right now. And his wife said, it's, it's 10 o'clock at night and you're thinking of going to Barvis. And she said to him, I think I know what's on your mind. I think you're going to go out to drink. You're not leaving this house tonight and you're not going out to get drunk. Because that was what she said to him because he was a hard drinker. He'd, he had a problem with alcohol. And he said to his wife, I may be mistaken. I may be mistaken. But if I know anything at all about my own heart and mind, I must say to you that I'm not going to ever drink again. Alcohol will never touch my lips again. And she was stunned and she looked at him and she said, Well, John, if that's your mind, then go to Barvis. And he got someone to take him by ferry. A ferry uh, got him over across to Lewis. And I was conducting a meeting in the farmhouse at midnight. And this schoolmaster came to the door. He ran to the door and everyone made room for him. It was really crowded in a matter of minutes. He was praising God for salvation. He gave his heart to God and got filled with the Holy Ghost. Now that's a miracle. I mean, I just cannot explain that. You cannot explain that in any other way but a move of God. Also, there was a father and a mother and their two daughters and a son and they were saved during the revival in Barvis. But one of their daughters, who was in medical profession in London, she was a medical doctor in London, a very clever girl. She was walking down Oxford Street after leaving a patient, and she was suddenly arrested by the power of God. She had to go into an alleyway, and she cried God for mercy and asked him to stop because the Holy Spirit was being poured, poured out on her. And God saved her right there. The whole family saved at the same time and in two different places. My dear people, these are facts. This is what happened. And I tell you of them to honor God. That girl is today the wife of a Baptist minister. And they are missionaries in Tasmania. He was for a fortnight in the Hebrides at that time. And the Lord fell upon him and he gave his life to the ministry into missions they met they married and both of them now are missionaries in Tasmania Tasmania these are some of the remarkable movings of God one night a captain in the clan line was saved sailing down the minch <laughs> he was just sailing his boat down the minch and uh, the Lord fell on him the Spirit of God would lay hold of people in the cabins of their boats. The Spirit of God would move upon lobster fishermen in the sound. They had to leave their boats and their creels and make for the island. And by the morning, they were saved. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could see God move in that way again? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could see God move in our community again? God could do it. I think one of the most outstanding things that happened, I believe, will go down in history as long as the revival is talked about and mentioned, was in the parish of Arnold, a small village on Lewis. 
the church was crowded and people were standing outside that couldn't get in. But these were people who came from neighboring villages. None of them came from Arnold. People were brought by buses, brought by cars and what have you. But there were very few from this village of Arnold. In fact, I don't think any. So one night, one of the elders came to me and he said, Mr. Campbell, there is only one thing that we can do. We've got to give ourselves to prayer because God cares about the people in Arnold. We must give ourselves to prayer and ask God to change things because we believe prayer changes things. Well, you know, I'm very willing for that. I said, where will we meet? He said, well, there's a farmer that's willing that for us to use his place. It's a farmhouse that we are free to go and, and start praying there. It was winter and the church was cold. There's no heating in it. The people believed a crowded church would be all the heat anybody needed. But here we wanted a warmer spot and the farmer was approached. Now the farmer wasn't a Christian nor his wife, but they're what I call God-fearing. And let me explain to you, maybe this is only in Scotland, but you can find God-fearing people and they don't know anything about the salvation or personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There's thousands of people like this in Scotland, especially in the north, who are God-fearing. They have family devotions and evening prayers. They'd never dream of walking out of the house and going to the field without reading a chapter of the Bible. It's tradition. It's their tradition. The man may have been under the influence that night. When I met him, I, I found him to be a little bit drunk. He has never darkened the door of a church. But oddly enough, he would never go out to his fields without reading the Bible. Maybe it was superstition. And that's why I believe that the average unsaved person in the Hebrides has a far greater knowledge of the word of God than the average Christian anywhere else. I, I can honestly say that it's because of this custom, these family devotions, their tradition. It's a, it's a tradition. And this man had that. So he told us we could come to his house. He wasn't a Christian, but a God-fearing man. So we gathered at his farmhouse. I would say there was probably 30 of us including five ministers from the Church of Scotland, men who had burdens, longings to see God move in revival. And we were praying, and oh, the going was hard. It was hard. It's just, at least I felt it was hard. I couldn't seem to touch the throne of God. And between about 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning when I turned again, and the blacksmith, Donald Smith from Barvis, I think you've heard him, I've talked about him before, Oh, he was a prince of a man, this Donald Smith, the blacksmith. And I said to him, Donald, I feel that God would have me call upon you to pray. Would you pray for us? Up until that time, he'd been silent. And that dear man, he began to pray. He must have prayed for about half an hour. When he paused for a second or so, and then looking up toward the heavens, he cried, God, do you know that your honor is at stake? Do you know that your honor is at stake, O God? You promised to pour out water on the thirsty and floods on the dry ground. And God, you're not doing it. You're not doing it here in Arnold. Now, my dear people, I couldn't pray like that. Could you pray like that? But here was a man who could. Here was a man who could pray like that. He then went on to say, there are five ministers in this meeting and I don't know where one of them stands on your presence. Not even Mr. Campbell. Oh, he was an honest man. 
But if I know anything at all about my own poor heart, I think I can say that I was thirsty. And this man said, Lord, I know I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty to see the enemy defeated in this parish. I'm thirsty to see this community gripped just like you gripped Barbas. I'm longing for revival, oh God, and you're not doing it. And I'm thirsty and you promised to pour out water. You promised, oh God. Then a pause and then he cried, God, I now take upon myself to challenge you to fulfill your covenant promise. It was nearing two o'clock in the morning. And what happened? The house shook. The house shook. It shook so hard that a jug on a sideboard fell onto the floor and broke. A minister beside me said, is that an earthquake? And I said, yes, but I had my own thoughts. My mind went back to Acts chapter 4 when they prayed and the place was shaken. When the blacksmith Donald Smith stopped praying at 20 minutes past 2, I pronounced the benediction and left the house. And what did I see? I walked out of that house and the whole community had come alive. Men were carrying chairs. Women were carrying stools and asking, is there room for us in the church? Is there room for us? And the Arnold revival broke out. And oh, the sweeping of revival. I don't believe there was a single house in that village that wasn't shaken by God. I went into another farmhouse. I was thirsty. I was tired. I needed something to drink. And I went in to ask for a drink of milk. And I find nine women in the kitchen crying to God for mercy. Have mercy on us, oh God. Have mercy on us. Nine of them. And the power of God swept and here was a little boy. Oh, he's kneeling by a pigsty and he's crying to God for mercy. And one of the elders goes over to him and prays over this little boy. And that little boy came to know the Savior. And I believe more souls were brought to Christ through that one lad's prayers than through the preaching of all the ministers from the island, including me. God used him. It was little Donald Smith, the boy that prayed. I gazed upon an open door. Now that night, do you know that the drinking houses were closed? The drinking houses closed down. Now that's a that's way back in 1952, and it has never been opened again on that in that village of Arnold. I was back some time ago, and an old man pointed at a drinking house with its windows boarded up, and he said, "Mr. Campbell, do you see that house over there?" That was the drinking house of the past. Do you know that last week our prayer meeting, 14 of the men who used to drink there were at our prayer meeting? Now, people, that's revival. That is God at work. Miracles, supernatural beyond human explanation. It's God. And I'm fully persuaded, dear people, that unless we see something like this happen, the average man will stagger back from efforts our conferences, our crusades, our, conven our conventions, they will stagger back disappointed and disillusioned and despaired. But if something like this happens, one of these powerful demonstrations of God, there's no turning back. Let me close with this during the, let me close with this story. During the revival, even the communist couldn't resist God. I remember one night I saw seven communist men. Up until then, they'd spit in your face Talk about religious being, religion being the dope of the masses. These were educated men, and they wouldn't go near a church. 
But dear old Peggy Smith from Barvis had a vision one night, and in the vision she saw seven men from this particular community, from this socialist center of activity, born again, and she believed that they were going to become pillars of the church that her father built a few miles away. She sent for me and told me that God had revealed this to her through a vision and that he was going to move in this particular village where the communists worked and lived. Oh, yes, there were communists there, godless men. But what was that to God? When God begins to work, he can deal with that. So she kept on talking like that. I said, Peggy, I have no leadings to go to that village. You know that there's no church there and the schoolmaster is one of those communists and he would never dream of giving me the schoolhouse for a meeting. And I just, I don't feel led to go there. I don't feel the Holy Spirit leading me to go there. And do you know what old Peggy said to me? She said, Mr. Campbell, if you were living as near to God as you ought to be, he would reveal his secrets to you also. And I took it from the Lord. Oh, dear people, it is good to get the word within you. It is good to see yourself as others see you. That's how I felt about Peggy. I said, Peggy, would you mind if I call for the parish minister and together the three of us could spend the morning together in prayer? She said, I'll be happy to. So we came and we knelt with her and she began to pray. And in her prayer, she said, Lord, do you remember what you told me this morning when you and I had that conversation together? Oh, how near she was to God. I'm just, af I'm just asking you, you know, to tell Mr. Campbell about it. Because he's not prepared to take that challenge. If you give him wisdom, oh God, because the man badly needs it. And that's what she said. She prayed that right in my hearing. That man badly needs it. And of course, she was speaking the truth. I did need it. I needed to be taught. I was sitting at the feet of a woman who knew God in a very intimate way. And I was prepared to listen. So I said, Peggy, when will I go to that village? Tomorrow. She said, what time? Seven o'clock, she said. Where am I to hold a meeting? You go to that village, Duncan Campbell, and leave the gathering of the people to God, and he'll do it. And I went to the village. And when I arrived, I found a crowd around a seven-room bungalow. I found five ministers waiting for me. And the house was so crowded that we couldn't get in. Indeed, we couldn't get near it. So I had to stand out on a hill in front of the main door. I gave out my text. The times of the Lord are at hand, and the Lord now commands me, men everywhere must repent, and because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained. I preached for about 10 minutes when one of the ministers came to me and said, Mr. Campbell, you remember what you spoke about at 5 o'clock this morning out in the field in that wonderful meeting when you tried to help those that were seeking God? I happened to speak from John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. That had been my text. He said, Could you not go to the end house there? There's some men there, and we're afraid of them. And we're afraid that they will lose their minds if we go there. 
and they're in such a bad state. They are mighty sinners, and they know it. They are spoken of here as communists. Could you go to them? Could you go to their house? So I walked down to the end of the village and saw that house. I went. There were seven men. Those were the seven men that old Peggy Smith had seen in her vision. And they were on their faces, crying for God's mercy. The seven of those men were saved within just a matter of days. And if you go to that parish today, you'll see a church with a stone wall built around it, heated by electricity, and all done by the hands of those seven men, those seven God-hating men who became pillars of the church of Peggy's father. Oh, dear people, that's revival. That's God at work. Duncan Campbell preached every single day, seven days a week from 1949 to 1952. Sometimes the great weight of glory would be so heavy on him that he'd have to lie in bed and people would have to carry him up to the pulpit and prop him up to preach. And then the Spirit of God would fall on him and he would be anointed to preach that sermon and then collapse afterward and have to go back to bed. He writes in a one of his autobiographies, he writes that the depression would be so great that sometimes he felt he was going to break in half. But every time he got up to speak, the Lord would anoint him and give him the words to say, and he would feel the power of the Holy Spirit run, riding through his body, moving through his body like fire. He said, one time I believed that the Lord wanted my body to be weak so that I would never glory in my flesh and that I would never touch his glory. What a beautiful revival. And Daryl and I were so privileged to meet with little Donald Smith and hear what God had done in his life and how the Lord had moved in Barvis and how that fire revival swept across the Isle of Lewis and all of the Hebrides were touched because two old women knelt and prayed and believed God and begged God to change their nation. This has been Truth Matters with Terry McCarthy. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I hope you'll join me tomorrow as we hear more of the testimonies and stories of what God did in the great revival, revival of Hebrides. See you tomorrow.